the difference with me, when I do what I do, I do what I'm doing, but I'm doing it like I'm doing it for TV. Keep your hands up. Put your hands up. Come on, come on. Keep your hands up. We back, we back, we back, we back. Put your hands up. That's right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Sanbonani, Gunjani, Giapile. Hello. We are back for another week of What the Football podcast. I'm joined this week by my co-host, Riyad, all the way from uh, Melbourne as usual. Rads, what's happening? How's it, Colonel? How are you doing? I know there's uh, big things happening in your, your side of town. Eh? Yeah, look, it's been a crazy week for the uh, Taylor household. Lots happening out here. New baby on board. Uh, Liverpool drawing with City, the Springboks beating, uh, a little bit of rugby talk, the Springboks beating New Zealand. Quite the weekend in the Taylor household. But, uh, yeah, I guess we, uh, gotta get down to business here with the conversations about the Premier League. Unfortunately, our other cows couldn't make it tonight. Wade, apparently still upset by that draw with Brighton and, uh, maybe a bit of a fall from grace with the, the Spurs victory and then drawing to little old Brighton Arsenal. So, I think he's taken the night off to have a, a bit of a, a bit of a sleep in a year there, Rads. Are you hearing the same things? It's understandable, bro. I um, I was watching that game. Um, I don't know against my better judgments. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and lack of lack of sleep. So I was up and um, it was after the United game. And uh, wow, Brad's, uh, Brighton were good. Um, so I've been talking on the show about how Brighton have been maybe overachieving in comparison to what they were doing last year. Uh, and how they were perhaps not as as good as they were last year, but that was probably their performance of the season today. Um, they deserved something out of that game, and they didn't get it. I mean, I, I suppose they just got a point. Um, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be disappointed if I was waiting in terms of what what Arsenal did after such a good win against Spurs the week before. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a fall from grace in a way. And uh, I mean, we've discussed as the panel, you know, Brighton playing so well and maybe getting a bit of reward after some great, uh, great, um, years under Graham Potter in the sense of the way they play the game, but just not rewarded for that, that, uh, style of football. But it all came together this season so far. And, uh, I mean, it's a good point for Brighton overall. Maybe not a, a good point in, in essence for Arsenal. Um, or maybe it is. I guess the the season will unfold and we'll see. Yeah, definitely a good point for Arsenal because, um, you know, it's a game that they could have easily lost and they've come away with something they didn't deserve. So uh, a good point for them. I think um, uh, a, good po- a, a good three points for Chelsea. Um, I thought uh, Southampton uh, were really good in that game. Um, I think actually thought Southampton were the better team up until James Ward-Prowse uh, had a, a tackle that, that sends him off. Um, Bit of a strange one from Ward Prowse there, I must say. Yeah, look, I think it was just a little bit late. I think it was, un, it was one of those unlucky ones. There's no malice in it. Um, look, it's a red in terms of, of, of where he's hit him and starts showing and the rest of it. But, um, yeah, I just think it was a, it was one of those, you know, as a player where you just get there, but, but too late, but you've already committed. Um, and you can't pull out. Um, look, let's be fair. I mean, the position, Chelsea were a little bit, sh- not shaken, but the, the way in which they try to play out there, Ward Prowse smelled blood and thought he could get in with a physical yeah. tackle to win the ball and it went yeah. the other way. Yeah. You know, and, and if it went his way and he got that ball back, he's, he's through on goal after that, right? So, um, but, you know, Chelsea were pretty much anonymous, anonymous before that and it took that red card for them to actually get into the game and then from there they dominated the 10 men of, of Southampton. So, um, you know, that, that's one. So, so you now we talk, talked about the eye test and a few weeks ago we said, look, Spurs are top of the league, but it's a false position because, um, they haven't been playing well. Um, you know, Chelsea on top of the league and they haven't been playing well either. Um, you know, they never play well against Southampton, but for the second half, um, once it was 10 men, um, they didn't play well against Spurs in that first half. Um, but they, they changed the game in the second half. They didn't play well against Aston Villa. Um, they weren't that great against Liverpool, and obviously there's there's circumstances in terms of going to ten men. But they were good ten men behind the ball, um, but it's not a false position for them because um, I think they are one of those teams that have started and not playing their best football, 
but they can play better football and they can grow and they can improve. And that's a scary thing for the league. So um, you've got teams like perhaps City and Liverpool that perhaps are hitting hitting their peak um, quite early. And um, perhaps you can, and they show, both those teams have shown they can sustain that type of football for the entire season. You also get teams that need to start and build momentum and get into that, that flow of games. And maybe that's what Chelsea are. So, um, credit to them for, for for being top of the league despite the type of football they've been playing. Yeah, look, I've always, I've, I, you know, I raised it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, if you remember, and I said, you know, Chelsea to me seem like a team that, you know, have have specific players within there that they rely on to produce at at, at various moments. Um, and I, I know you might say, well, Salah yeah. might be the same, but with Liverpool, it's it's in unison. It's across the whole park from the front to the back. With City, it's it's the whole team. It's from the front to the back. With Chelsea, I find it's the they are a moments team. So to your point, they haven't played very well, but in yeah. certain areas in the game, they've produced and they've managed to get the victory. So I guess the, the question might be, you know, to your point, are they just kind of you know going through the motions and finding the way to win? Or are they a team that is going to peak at a later stage? Or, or is this potentially as good as it gets for Chelsea? Because there are question marks over Tuchel for me. You know, he, yeah. there, there are elements to his game that he brings that uh, provide, you know, a, a different way and very defensive-minded way of playing, building the platform and then attacking. Um, and I, I just ask the question, does Tuchel... You know, that City game showed me so much of the limitations of Chelsea more than anything. Yeah. Um, and it just opens up that question again for them. Tuchel is a very astute manager. Uh, very, very smart in terms of the, what he does um, and how he sets his team up. Sometimes it doesn't pay off like it didn't pay off against against City. But he... It, it's tactics first, which means that um, the quality of the football is not, is not high on the list where I think for Klopp and Pep, you know, for, for, for first and foremost is making sure we are playing good football before I'll, 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 I, I concern myself with the tactical setup. Like, in, and when I talk about tactical setup is like, you know, taking players out of the game, um, making, doing overloads on one side compared to the other, uh, sitting back in certain moments to absorb that pressure. So I think, He's very tactically minded. So even in the Spurs game, there was a defensive change that he did by taking off an attacking midfield and putting on a defensive midfield in Kante that, that able them to then um, just outclass Spurs you know, on a tactical level. And it was too good for Nuno on that, in, that, in that space. You look at what they did last year. I, I can't recall too many games where you're like, wow, Chelsea are, are a fantastic team. They're just a team that could get results. I think that's the way they're going to be for the rest of the season. Um, they've got an owner that concerns himself more results in the first place anyway. Um, and yeah. I think Tuchel's probably a good fit for you. Yeah, I think I think if you look at Chelsea over the years with the managers, they've had 100% Mourinho, results-driven manager. You know, Tuchel again comes in, yeah. gets the results. Will they play the prettiest football? I don't think so. I guess, you know, we'll come to the Liverpool-Man City game in our next segment because we're going to dive in deep there and look yeah. at the way that the team set up. But to your point, you know, one of the, the comments made by Pep was there are ways to lose a game of football, but yeah. it's, all, it's all based on how you play it. And that's exactly the philosophy of Klopp and Pep. They are driven by how they play, then the result, not the result, yeah. and then how you play. So it's a completely different setup. Yeah, so, I mean, so, so so United had Mourinho, and so, so I know it all too well. You know, it's fantastic when you're getting the results. So you can talk about it, look at the results, and matter, matter, and we're getting to cup finals, and we're winning trophies. But when it doesn't pay off, and you're playing cup football as well, then it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword on that, on, that, on that front. On that, yeah. Uh, look, I wanted to shift gears, and I wanted to move to our... Our, what will I call them? The perennial coach sackers, Watford. So <laughs> I guess we all, you know, we all had, Munoz was probably up there with, 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 uh, who we thought might get sacked across the podcast, uh, yeah. panel. However, we probably, you know, all lean towards Vieira being in trouble, but Watford have not missed a beach area. They've, uh, six games in and they've yeah. gone and sacked their manager yet again. So sure. what do you think? The right decision? And obviously let's, you know, they brought on, by the look of it, uh, Claudio Ranieri, the Tinker Man is back. We all love yeah. a bit of, we all love a bit of Ranieri in our life. 
So have <laughs> they made the right decision? And what do you think of the decision to sack uh, Munoz? Whether it's right or wrong will depend on what Watford do at the end of the season, right? So I think what they've done is there's been, and I saw the statement they put out. Um, it, it wasn't a singular result that that um, they sacked the manager for. It was a downwards trend, um, and they were concerned on the downwards trend. They feel the the players they have perhaps are better than um, what the results have been showing and what the performances have been showing. So it's not just the results, it's the performances as well. So I think that was important. Um, so I think it was right to sack the manager um, in, in and it's, it's, it's signing a bit rich. That's a bit, bit, bit controversial there. Yeah. yeah. After six <laughs> games or the manager that's brought you up back to the Premier League. Yeah. So, so I think, um, he was a, a, a gamble when they brought him in, um, in terms of they knew he's going to be, um, he's someone that was there to lift spirits off of the previous manager. Um, and, it it worked in the COVID scenario when there were no fans and and they and they got promoted. But I think since the start of the year, um, the performances just have not been good enough. So I mean, they've, they 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 ruthless club as well. They know how much it means to survive, and that means millions for a club like Watford, millions and millions. So um, you know, I, I think when you are at that level, um, you can't wait um, on these decisions. If you wait until the second half of the season. It's going to be too late. So I think they've got to make sure that given Ranieri every chance he can to to survive this year. So um, whether Ranieri is the right call, I'm, I mean, the last time he was in a relegation battle, um, he went down. I think was it Fulham um, that he took down. Um, you know, he wasn't really in a relegation fight with with Leicester when he won the league, <clears throat> of course. But um, the following season, he had them near the bottom and he got sacked. So. Um, let's see what what the Tinkerman can do. Um, but I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm saying it, it's rich from me because I've been talking about you know not sacking Ali. Um, <laughs> very, very, very rich. Yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I'm a man living in a glass house throwing stones. Um, so. Well, well, you know what, Rod? Hold that thought. Yeah. Here's a stat for our listeners. So since 1903, which was the year Watford was formed. Do you want to take a guess at how many managers they've had? So the period is 1903 to 2010. How many managers do you think they've had in that period? Just take a wild stab in the dark. One a year. Um, so what's that? Um, One a year is a lot of managers. That's nearly 100 managers by that number. <laughs> yeah, there'll be 120. Okay, okay, not that much, but this is going to paint a very good picture about how this club has changed. So since 1903, Watford have had 33 managers, right? Okay. So that's what? That's probably one every three years, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Since 2000, so since that period, 2011 to 2021, which is 10 years, they've had 13 managers. Oh, wow. So, a clear indication of the shift in which this uh, club has now taken. And look, at the end of the day, it is a clear strategy that Watford had. And you might yeah. argue it's, it works, it doesn't work. I mean, they're a very up-and-down, yo-yo kind of club at the minute. Um, and their managers, you know, strike at the heart and get rid very quickly. So they stick to their guns, I guess. But it does paint a picture for the club that Watford are right now. And, yeah. you know, that's more that's more managers than they are years. So quite yeah. a contrast to what they used to be. Uh, well, I think that, sorry, Karen. Yeah, that timing coincides with the new ownership. I think they got these Italian owners, and which is why they they normally go with these either Italian or or, or continental managers. So um, I, I'm not I'm not surprised by by the number in in that short period of time because they seem to be quite ruthless. Yeah, and I, I guess we'll see if it pays dividends. You know, that that to me was one of the obviously stories of the weekend. You know, let's not let's not let's not mince our words here, Rudds. Another story would obviously be the benching of the amazing Cristiano Ronaldo. What's going on there? Is he? Uh, I hear he's looking for a ship out of Manchester already. <laughs> and apparently, right next to him is yeah, Paul look, Pogba, I don't think so. who, who was also benched. So, yeah, so I don't know. The castle is crumbling. Yeah, look, I think um, if United win the game, then no one's really talking about who was benched. I think. Um, United were up 1-0, and you, you look over, and he's, he's throwing on Pogba and Cristiano Ronaldo in the same sub. Um, and, you know, with those superstars, we end up, um, you know, drawing that game. 
Now that this this was one where again I'm struggling to defend Oli. Um, so it, it's a game where again he's he's playing with two holding midfielders or defensive midfielders or whatever you want to call uh, Fred and Scott McTominay. Um, and yet we are so vulnerable in transition. We are so vulnerable. Can a I ask city. you a question? I, I've got to cut you off there. But we, I, what on earth was that by Fred against oh. Amari Gray? If, uh, if Alex, Ferguson, player, Alex yeah. Ferguson would have taken him by the collar and thrown him out the club, and he would never have put on a Liverpool, uh, sorry, a United shirt on again. That was Owen, horrible. Owen Hargreaves said something similar in, in commentary. So he was um, obviously on Opsis, and and he said um, if that was under Alex, Fred wouldn't play for a couple of months. If 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 that was my team that I coach on a weekend, bro, like I'd be, he would have seen, he would have been dragged off straight be away, yeah. straight away, and and he'd be one where you know. He'll know he made a mistake. I don't know. And, and he, he can't continue. It's just, that's unforgivable. Unforgivable. You know, as if that's, if that was a striker that made him that mistake or someone who was, you know, sometimes you might have your winger that might be smaller built on a, on a corner on a set piece. You say, okay, um, I'm setting up my big men. I need a couple of boys to stay back. You staying back. And if they did that, I understand they're not tacklers. You're my defensive midfielder. <laughs> it's literally okay? your job. That's your job. Take a, take a technical foul, you know, um, foul him if you need to foul him and then move it on. Copy yellow card, take but you yellow. cannot let him get away with it. You can't let it. It, it, it's, it, it was, it was ridiculous. Um, unforgivable. Unforgivable. I mean, Everton should never have even been given the chance to counter in that position. No, no. So United got, I think it was 70% position at that stage and, um, yeah. Again, you know, what, what are we doing with the ball? You know, you, you gotta, it looks like we're out of ideas, moving the ball forward. That comes down to the coach in terms of what he's looking for and what, and what the, the team is, team is doing. And there's no sort of patterns of play or ideas coming through. So, you know, the pressure's on Oli. Um, so I've, I've said before, I said, um, earlier that, um, he did deserve to keep his job after finishing second and going to a cup final. Um, and he's got the team he, He's got a, a team that's good enough to to challenge, and if he's not doing that, he needs to be judged and he needs to be criticised. And and I've got I, I've got no issue with fans at this point, you know, questioning whether he's the right man. And I think um, at the end of the day, as long as he's in the top four, um, he will have his job secured for the remainder of the season. But I do think that that will not be enough. And at the end of the season. We'll see him depart. And you know what? You raised a very good point there. I think one of our listeners, you know, Grant, um, raised was exactly that. You know, while Ole remains in the four, he's probably safe. And he, look, at the end of the day, he's two points behind. It's very early on. But the yeah. trend, the trend is worrying for United. When I watch their performances, I just don't see a team that is able to do something different to, to what he is, what he has them doing. And that yeah. is a concern. There's there's no real variation to that play, and it's very specific to the players that are, you know, your Fernandezes and your Ronaldos and your Pogba's producing at a certain time to get them to that level. You take them out, and it, it all kind of falls apart at that point. Well, I think it's actually deeper than that, right? So if I look at it and the way he's set up, always the same. There's two defensive midfielders. He plays Bruno as a number ten. You've got your 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 front three that are quite mobile, right? Um, you then get Ronaldo, and you can't you can't just put Ronaldo in the same setup because if you compare Ronaldo to if, if Rashford is playing through the centre or Greenwood or even Cavani, they are pressing, they are working. Ronaldo's not going to do that run, so you can't just put him in there and expect the team to deliver as they were before, or or him to add something when you are defending the game. So all you know, all of a sudden you've got a lack of of, of a press there. So well, Ronaldo is not pressing anyone. Not pressing yeah. at all. I think he's got the second worst pressing stats in the league um, uh, in terms of forwards, right? Um, but in terms of what Oli's doing, then you've got to change the shape. You've got to change the shape to suit because that that four two three one or whatever he wants to call it, I can understand it when he's got those three mobile forwards. But he's got a he's a coach now. He's got a he's got to make a plan to make to get the most out of the team. And and what he, what we're seeing on the field, 
is that he's not whatever he's doing is not getting the most out of the team. So um, it, it's down to him. So he's, he needs to change it. Hopefully he can. Um, I, I will always back him until the day that he's gone, as long as the manager. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not wishing that he gets sacked. I'm wishing that he proves everyone wrong. I'm wishing that you know, come come eight months, he's he's in the shot for maybe the Champions League. And the Premier League, and you know, we're sticking it to everyone, but it, it seems very, very far-fetched and unlikely. I think, yeah, that is a a, a true, uh, what I would call a a fugazi. If you've ever watched the movie <laughs> Wolf of Wall yeah. Street, that is up there with some crazy stuff in the world. So, look, <laughs> I'd say I hope it works out for you, but I'd be lying. Um, I just don't see Ole being that person that does that. Uh, I'm going to shift and maybe finish this last minute or two with. Um, just to shift to the bottom of the table, and of course there was a big six point at the bottom there with Burnley playing Norwich. You know, yeah. I'll admit I thought you know Burnley would come to the four year and get their three points. Um, I back Son Dyche to to produce it against a, a very very poor Norwich team that really shouldn't probably be in the Premier League with the way that they uh, uh, play the game and how open they are defensively. But you know, a nil nil draw immediately after the game, I reflected and I went. Are Burnley in are Burnley in serious trouble this year to not be able to get a result at home against such a poor Norwich team? I think so. I think looking at Burnley, um, they're struggling to score goals, and you know, we're struggling to score goals to the team that are shipping them in um, every from every angle. Um, then you got to ask yourself some real serious questions. Um, I had a pretty good week in terms of. Picking the results, I did pick a draw on that one. I um, noticed that actually. I, I've not been impressed by by Burnley, and um, I just thought both teams wouldn't be good enough to get a result. So um, that one that one came true. But I will tell you, who I was impressed with, and one that I got wrong was Brentford beating West Ham away. Um, Brentford and thoroughly deserving that win. Thoroughly absolutely on fire. Yeah. I mean, again, we you know we got I'm running out of superlatives for for Brentford because. You know, we speak about them. We're like, yeah, pretty good at home. Probably, you know, lose a few away, but then go to go to the Hammers and and get a result there and score a 94th minute winner and just yeah. unbelievable where they're a at. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about West Ham possibly challenging for top six and and Brentford go um, and, and and beat them in their home turf. So um, yeah, let's see what uh, where they can finish up. Look, I think. Um, I think it's been an interesting weekend of results, but we're gonna we're gonna close the segment off and shift our attention onto yeah, the next. Maybe segment. before before we finish up, uh, we normally um, talk about maybe performances of the oh, weekend. Oh, actually, you're right. And, and, and play the weekend and might be a nice segue into the next segment anyway. You're right. Yeah. Um, so 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 where are you at in terms of performances in play of the week? Look, it, it's it's a tough one only because. I thought there were some decent performances around. I thought, you know, particularly I thought Crystal Palace's comeback for against Leicester, although maybe not the full 90 minutes, I thought they showed a great grit and heart to actually pull that game back from 2-0 down at home. Uh, you know, Brentford winning away um, was brilliant, but I cannot go past that Liverpool-Man City game. Both teams just produced a level, especially probably from the latter stages of the first half produced a level that, to me, puts them at still the two teams to beat in this league. You know, what a performance by both teams, ultimately, and what a second half that was. So I'm going to sit on the fence here and say it's a shared best performance by Liverpool and United, uh, uh, sorry, and City, um, only because I felt that that second half lived up to what we thought the game would be like, um, particularly. And I thought the first half was extremely tactical, which we'll dive into the next uh, next segment I guess for player of the week for me, um, bit of a tough one, but again, I'm only going to give it to this guy because of the level of goal he produced. To me, that was, you know, semi-Messi-esque what he did. Um, and, you know, you may laugh, but very few players, I've always had this argument about, you know, Ronaldo, Messi, whatever, but what Messi does on a weekly basis is make world-class players look like Sunday league players. And when I saw Bernardo Silva, who was tearing Liverpool at times to pieces, fall on his ass and look like a Sunday League player in that moment because of what Sar- uh, sorry, what Salah did, um, I just thought the goal he produced was unbelievable. And to do it on your weaker foot, um, I thought that added to the fact that he assisted the first goal, 
put him in a in a bracket now of players that are you know well just behind Messi and Ronaldo um, in terms of that next bracket of players that I look at. So for me, performances of the week go to to, to Man City and Liverpool, and play of the week goes to to Mohamed Salah. Yeah, look, um, it's not going to happen often on this pod, but um, there's a lot that I agree with in what you said. So I actually think that City slightly edged Liverpool because of the first half. So I think I think looking at the second half, um, two evenly matched teams. So I think um, if that was the same vein in uh, in the first half, uh, I'd, I'd give it to to both. But I think just because of how good City were in that first half. Um, uh, they take performance of the week for me. Um, but in terms of player of the week, it's Mo Salah. So, um, um, you know, you, you're talking up the goal, but while you say I, that again, say that again, right? <laughs> Mo Salah for player of the week. The, the, you know, the goal is one thing and it was fantastic. One of the, one of the goals of the season today, but, um, what he did for this, for the first goal, you know, um, Mane finished it off, but Mo Salah made that role. What he, he said, Joe Cancelo to the shops. Um, you know, um, what he did on the sideline and his movement to, to glide past him, um, and then take, take the city defense on to open him up and then, and then the ball is given to Mane. That was exceptional. So I think Salah's becoming a player. Um, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, you'd be arguing in terms of who may be more important, Mane or, or Salah. I think Salah has gone to the next level, um, um more so than, um, his teammates um, to the point where I think there's maybe no doubt in that he's probably the best player um, in the league at the moment. Yeah, and I think it's a great segue into our into our next segment that everybody loves, which is of course the segment we love the most, um, which has to deal with diving into the Man City Liverpool game. So let's go into the analysis corner. So we're going to dive in deep to the Man City Liverpool game, Yarads, and just have a bit of a, a look at, you know, the way in which the team set up, you know, what our thoughts were in that first half and how the game changed dramatically in the second half. What were the tweaks that Klopp made? But before we dive in, I thought there was a great interview, and I'm not sure if you heard it, by, by Jurgen Klopp. Um, and, you know, a lot of pundits were talking about it where they said, you know, not a lot of managers actually talk about the tactical side of the game to the to the press. You know, a lot of the stuff they say is is above board and doesn't really dive in, but Klopp mm. actually went into particular detail here, which I found very interesting um, when I first heard it, because I don't think I've ever heard him go to this level of detail. So I'm actually gonna play this for the for the listeners and um, we can we can then dive in after when it comes to tactics. But that wasn't the case at the weekend. So just have a listen to what Jurgen Klopp said. First of all, it's what you have to say. You play Man City. Man City with the ball is a proper team. So, um, but there are obviously, obviously, on the second half, ways to defend it. What you have to do, you have to close down the decisive spaces. For that, you have to step out in specific moments. So, you need, so what does City want to do? They want to play through the center. First idea. But if center's close, they go, they have, they leave the two wingers high and wide, pass the ball there. If it's a big switch or just a pass, when one situation is going in the box or whatever, these kind of things. We never close. I, I, I'm not sure I saw a lot of games where City could pass the ball that easy through the half spaces. So between our wing and eight, it was constantly. So what's the reason for that? We were the last line to pass it. We called the, the midfield line back. So neither handle nor Curtis could we step out when, when needed, when necessary. So we were just passive. They passed the ball through us. They turned, and from there we go. That's they didn't obviously they had chances clear, but um, they didn't score from that. But what it gives you is a really bad feeling. This bad feeling leads to not playing football. What we did do as well. So then we had these long balls which make absolutely no sense. One or two of them maybe made sense. All the rest, well, not really. I didn't see the reason for it. And obviously all these things we changed in the second half. Immediately you could see we set up, we were higher, we were more aggressive in this, in this situation because we felt closer, we felt more compact. So they could play anymore like they wanted. So we were now in the game, we scored wonderful goals with the ball. We, 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 the, the message for the, for the football was play the 
extra pass. We didn't do that in the first half at all. I'm really happy. But the second half, I'm really happy. It's a strong opponent. Do we want to win a game like this? Yes. But um, we have to admit today, because the game has two halves, the point is completely fine. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant assessment by Klopp and probably paves the way for us to dive in a bit deeper um, to the game. So I guess I'll give my first, we'll break down the first half. So what I saw from the start of that game, um, and I've watched the game again with taking my emotion out of the game to try and analyze it a bit deeper. Obviously, mm-hmm. from the first time I've watched it, um, it's changed as to what the, you know, the second viewing was. So. The first 15 minutes, what I saw was two teams that respected each other and fully were aware of both teams' dangers that they pose. So if you notice how City set up in that first 15 minutes, they actually had a low block. And the highest player on the field when they set up their defense was Grealish. And he was at the base of the center circle, which I don't think I've ever seen City set up like that in my entire life. So they almost set up in a 4-5-1 formation defensively. So that first 15 minutes, I think Pep's thinking was suck the light out, the life out of Anfield, shut Liverpool down because they're going to come at us hard as they do, and take the sting out. Immediately when that 15 minutes was over, they changed, and all of a sudden they started pressing us up higher. It was as if that... It was as and it was as if a thing clicked over in the players' heads and they decided to push up higher. The whole backline moved up further, and all of a sudden, City started to gain control. So a clear plan by Pep, and it worked because that final 15 minutes of that half was all City, and Liverpool yeah. were being pressed up and got so so nervous in the end that mistakes started happening. And Klopp was right; we started playing these long balls that were going nowhere. I was yeah. actually sitting there as a Liverpool supporter going. Can we please have the whistle for half time because City are going to score any minute now? So I thought the first half was a clear 15 minutes of, of maybe slightly Liverpool ahead, but I'd say the next 15 were probably maybe a little bit even, but that final 15 was all City. And how they didn't take the lead in that final 15 was, was, yeah, surprising. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. What did you see in that first half? Yeah, so look, not too dissimilar. So the first 10, 15 minutes, you look at that as maybe some sparring between the two teams. Um, I, I do think for City, most of the time for them, um, their best way of defense is to keep the ball. So, and they keep the ball so well. Um, I, I know they did push the press a bit higher, um, after a while, but it wasn't as high as the Chelsea press. I don't know if you noticed that. So, uh, with Chelsea, they're chasing down the balls right up into the box. I think. No, they um, didn't press Allison. I agree. Yeah. They waited for they the defenders. They waited the until it get past that the, the first third. Um, so I think they pressed in the in the in the second uh, the, the in the second third, right? So the middle third, um, more so. And um, there were quite a few sloppy passes from Liverpool. Um, and I think that those long balls didn't come from frustration. Um, but I, the way I saw that half that half ending was that half is a, was a win for Liverpool because. They suffered and they came out unscathed um, because if Liverpool were down by two goals in that first half, everyone would say no problem with that. City deserved the lead. I think that's where I thought Grealish was poor. Um, we've spoken about a strike and, and, and I've had the arguments where people say, yeah, but if, if they play at the striker, they're going to play differently. But what the, how differently would you play than what Grealish, Grealish was doing? He wasn't really connecting with the play in the first place. And I'd say specifically Kane in that team who can drop in and play as a number 10 and get involved and then make the runs in that final third. There's a amount of times where in that first half, particularly, I saw Cancelo as the furthest man forward. And I'm like, okay, who's, where's the movement to help him? And then he's actually has to slow the game down and bring the ball back or play a ball to, to one person, um, who, who may have been running a, like an impossible ball. So, um, I think that's something that, if there was a striker, it changes it. Foden was very good, but I also think that it may have been better served to have Foden through the centre and instead of Grealish and have Sterling out wide um, because there were times where Sterling made his movement from the balls coming deep. You know, Edison is so good with the ball at his feet and Edison was picking passes in that first half for, for Foden from, from that deep line position, like a deep line playmaker. Um, but when the ball was getting built up through the middle, there were times where Foden should have been making that move 
however, was coming to the ball, because it's his natural instinct to come to the ball as in terms of where he should be playing, where, where Sterling would be getting in behind and making movement and creating gaps. So I think that's probably uh, one that I, I would have questioned. In saying that, I mean, Foden was fantastic. Um, I mean, yeah, I, he probably was City's man of the match, to be fair. He was City's yeah, man of the match. Yeah, look, I felt sorry for James Muller in the end because he had an absolute field day with him outright. Yeah, and, and maybe we'll, so I think if you're analysing it, let's, let's just stick on the first half and we can go on to the second half and we'll get your thoughts first on, on, on what changed in the second half specifically. Um, but I think, you know, City should be walking this league. But I think without their striker, they're going to give everyone else a chance. Um, I'm going to be specifically Liverpool and Chelsea a chance. Um, well, I don't know about, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you there on walk in the league because with the Guerrero and with the striker, Liverpool beat them to the title. So uh, yeah, I don't I, think you can cut Liverpool to say that they can't keep up with City because they don't have a striker or they do have a striker. So I still, I yeah. would still maintain that they're the two best teams in the league. I, I think the level of City that, that we're seeing now is, is, is maybe some of the best football I've seen them play without getting the reward for it. So, um, you know, even the way they played against PSG last week, they dominated PSG and ended up on the losing end because they can't finish their chances, right? Um, so, so if you keep dominating these games and playing fantastic football but cannot get a result from it or favourable result in terms of what you deserve from the football you're playing, then you're going you're gonna to ensure that the teams that are just behind you continue to be either just behind you or, or then go in front of you. So they can push ahead if they, if they were able to turn the football they're playing into, into points. I mean, so they, they could have gone to Anfield on the weekend and taken three points from Liverpool in, in, at Anfield and gone ahead of them in the league. And that would, would have painted, um, you know, that could have changed the season, the outlook, in, to say, wow, this is a team to beat. They've come to Anfield, who are meant to be challengers, and they walked all over them. You know, that first half, there was not what, zero shots on target. You, there was like similar to the Chelsea territory in terms of what they did to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Just remember that they played three games on the trot away where they could have won all three games. They played Chelsea away, PSG away, and then Liverpool away, and could have won all three of them. So I think the level of performance that they are are displaying is fantastic, but that lack of 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 a threat um, in the final third is going to cost him big time. But is the but again, Raj, you know, uh, I take your points on board. And City are a phenomenal team, you know, easily one of the best teams in Europe. I mean, Pep Guardiola himself came out and said Liverpool are one of the top three teams across the world, Europe, whatever. You know, it's probably yeah. PSG, Man City, and Liverpool is the teams he's talking about because I think what Liverpool bring to the games with City is a way of playing that Pep is not he does, hasn't quite figured out how to counter. It, it's probably his nemesis game, nine times yeah. out of ten if you look at the history of it. But, uh, you know, I, I take your point on City are producing a level of performance but can't finish. But City at one stage prior when they got the 100-point season had that striker there that was you know scoring their goals and produced levels that were exceptional. So this current team to me hasn't done anything to to warrant them being in that class of team. So, and I mean that in the sense of, if you look at last year, what did they achieve? 80-odd points. Mm. You know, when you think about seasons prior, Liverpool 97, uh, 98, City 98, uh, City 100. You know, this team, as good as maybe the, it's pretty on the eye, maybe that final edge is what's, you know, holding them back. And maybe it's not the team that we think it can be at the same time. So it'll be interesting to see how the season unfolds for the City team um, because there are elements to them that are maybe lacking. And I think Liverpool also show that defensively they are susceptible to certain types of play. You've just yeah. got to be very clinical when you come up against City. And that's what Liverpool were, which probably shifts our conversation to the second half. And I might ask you, what do you think changed that all of a sudden Liverpool were a completely different team in that half and probably what everybody expected from the first half. Yes, I think they started playing football, making those passes. Also, um, I I thought the defenders started getting involved in terms of making passes as well. I know um, Joel Matip, for one, 
Um, I, f- I found he pushed up higher when Liverpool were attacking to to create an outlet to pass through, and and they were breaking the lines. I remember one where um, early on the half there was a Jota chance that had came from Matip, um, where he was able to turn the defender and take a shot on. So just by removing that um, that th- those long balls or helpful balls and start playing the, the playing the game, um, taking it to City. So. Um, from that point, what I saw then was City trying to play passes and play, make movements where they started getting very sloppy. And and I think Liverpool sniffed that, sniffed blood, and made the most of the of of their opportunities when they were up. And and because when they did start the game, Liverpool did start the better team. Um, but credit to City because they kept fighting and kept coming back, and they deserve to come back. So I think it was a it was an enjoyable game for the neutral in the second half specifically. I think um, um, two teams going um, blow to blow. But I suppose if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be saying, I hope to God that Salah signs that contract extension because um, he is showing to be the difference. And I know we've spoken before about uh, Liverpool being more of a, you know, a sum of all its parts. But I think now one part is becoming a Rolls Royce um, in a in a BMW. So um, you know that Rolls Royce, the goals that he's scoring, the assists that he's producing. You know, um, you know he's. I think he's playing the best football he's ever played. Um, and um, you know, hopefully for Liverpool's sake, that uh, he sticks around for a long time. Well, I think one thing I picked up on in that second half, if I, I you know, when I said I will rewatch the game. After that first 15 minutes, we became very passive in our approach. I noticed our back line dropped deep, our midfield weren't pressing up as high, and it was disjointed in the press. Jota, I remember one particular move where Jota pressed the centre-back. Fabinho didn't move to close the midfielder, and yeah. all of a sudden the two midfielders split, and it allowed City to do their triangles. And they will kill you when they do that. In the second half, from minute one, I noticed the change straight away. All of a sudden, in the front three, in one of the moves, was um, uh, Jota, uh, Mane, and Henderson. But behind Henderson, ironically, was James Milner. And guess who was the furthest person back? Mohamed Salah. But they were in a triangle. And their press, the press became higher, but the midfield supported the press. So we got back to the Liverpool that has caused City trouble over the years because of that press. And all of a sudden, you saw with the goal, the goal intentionally came from countering City and losing the, them losing the ball and us playing very quickly in behind their spaces. So yeah. it just it amazed me how that little shift, and, and Klopp said it, he was like, we weren't brave. Because I think what he was saying there was, when City, or when, when, when teams play City, and there's a moment where you start to fear City, that fear becomes pretty much a cancer within your mind. It's and it over. stops you from yeah. playing. Because yeah. you are scared of them, as opposed to going, we are a team that can actually outperform yeah. this team, and that's yeah. what. So before you finish, before I finish, that is what has made Liverpool keep up with the team of City's capabilities. Is that we've never feared; we just go at them and yeah. we make them fear us. Yeah, hundred percent. So when you talked about Fabinho not pressing in the first half and then uh, like following the press. That's because of the fear, right? Because he's like, well, if you lose this and I'm pressed all the way up, there's massive gaps in behind that said he's going to tear us apart. So, you know, that's the hesitancy in the player. He knows what he should be doing in terms of what the team wants to play and the team wants to do. But there's the fear of the opposition that makes him question himself and maybe then that doubt creates the gap and then City can play through those gaps. So, yeah, I, I, I understand fully what you're saying in that game. Look, I wanna I wanna close off. Yeah, we've probably got a couple of minutes left before I just want to do some closing remarks on this on the segment. But really quickly, penalty or no penalty on Foden? Uh, no penalty for me. Um, no penalty. No penalty uh, for me. I actually think, probably, if anything, it may have been outside the box, but um, yeah. I, I don't see it as a big pen. I think we, we look first time we're probably agreeing on a penalty call, but I would I would agree with you on that one, Milner. Should have been sent off, or absolutely that was a dive by a absolutely <laughs> should have been sent off. Oh my god! Um, and the goal came shortly after that, where um, you know Pep was raging at the officials for not sending, uh, giving a second yellow Let's card. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. How good is a Pep rage? How good is it to see Pep rage? 
more so when you, when as is raging, you go down and score a goal. <laughs> yeah, so, even better. Um, um, I suppose you know a little bit of unfortunate events in terms of I think he, he was spat on. Um, I don't know if it was directly at that point, but uh, um, you don't want to see that. But yeah, the, you, you yeah. love to see the the pep rage. Um, but Milner, I mean, you, you oh, can't. He thought it was a dive. He didn't dodge a bullet. He dodged a nuclear weapon there because that was a clear second yellow. And look, yeah. right, you know, one of the things I've always said is foot, why we love football is that things always balance themselves out. And I'll go back to two years ago where Vincent Company put a tackle on Mohamed Salah, which then ended Mohamed Salah out for four weeks. He didn't receive a yellow and he didn't receive a red. So, you know, Football always has a way of working itself out, and maybe this was the football gods kind of paying it forward. So, was it a yellow? 100%. Should Milner have been sent off? I'm not arguing. He should have, but that's football. Yeah. And yeah. I just want to finish off on one last thing. That Salah goal. Was it, was it, is it the best this season? And can you see, I guess, I guess when I look at the Salah goal, I go, look at the opposition he's playing against. They've conceded one goal all year. And he's made probably, you know, one of the best teams in the world look pretty average. So what, what did you make of it when you saw it actually happen in front of your eyes? Oh, I, I've already said just before in our previous segment that I think it's the goal of the season so far. Um, I, th- I think um, you spoke about it being Messi-esque, and I, and I agree. Um, I do say that I saw something Messi-esque in that game before that as well. I don't know. Um, oh, I don't know. There's yeah, a lot of silver run that, that he uh, made. That, that deserved a goal. Um, yeah. You know, I think Foden should have finished that. I think that. Foden should have hit that first time. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we'd be talking about which goal was better um, because I think they'd both be um, fantastic and, and worthy of, of competing for goal of the season. But, um, yeah, um, taking nothing away from what Mo Salah had done. Um, so, you know, he's turned a couple of defenders um, just with his body movement in the first point um, to not even – to take them out of of the game and then um, put Bernardo Silva on his bum and then, um, you know, trick Laporte to, to make him think he's going to go on his stronger foot and then he's gone on his weaker foot and he's finished it like that. So, um, wow, fantastic goal. So I want to I wanna finish off the segment with just a, a final word on something, Rudz, that maybe you weren't aware of. Um, just to show why I've always maintained that two best teams still to topple in this league are Liverpool and Man City. So in the last three years, excluding this season, so picture this post the 100-point season. So the season where we're talking from the season, you know, uh, City got 98 points and Liverpool got 97. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a guess how many points in total each one of these teams have gotten over the next few years? So collective total, where do you think they're at? Yeah, I think they... Um... They mentioned it in the game. They they are on exactly the same amount of points, right? Um, 100%. So the out of these three seasons, including yesterday's game, these two teams have amassed 267 points, bang on, the same amount of points as each other. So mm-hmm. it just shows the level that these two teams have produced. And although Chelsea, yes, are, are you know in this title talk and you know maybe to a lesser extent United are also in this talk, Liverpool and City have produced quite a phenomenal level for other teams to 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 achieve. So I thought it was a very crazy stat the fact that they're exactly on the same points after so many seasons, but just shows that the level that they produced. I guess I will finish off say the game was an absolute corker. It had pretty much everything. Two great teams led by two absolutely supreme coaches. Three well-worked goals and a moment of pure magic from Salah. The only thing missing was a stoppage time winner or a red card, and we probably could have had both. And we could conceivably have had both, as I said. I don't see how anyone who watched the match could look past these two as the favourites to slug it out for the title. At full strength, they are unequivocally the best teams in the league. And I will say this, they are also led by the two best managers, Guardiola versus Klopp has something like a managerial equivalent of the Messi-Ronaldo battle in Spain over the years. And the Premier League will be far poorer when they eventually decide to leave. So let's enjoy the exceptional coaches. And I know they play for big rivals, Ruds, but you have to take your hat off to both Guardiola and Klopp. I'm very thankful that Klopp is the manager of Liverpool and maybe thankful that you know Guardiola didn't end up at United and he ended up at City. Um from a Liverpool supporter's perspective, because 
what we saw on Saturday was two or two, Sundays rather was two managers who respect each other, love playing against each other, and do everything to get over one another. And you know what? On the day, maybe the two-two both managers take back to the drawing board and push on. So absolutely brilliant game that we witnessed. And um, let's wait for the for the next one to come around. But I guess that puts us on to our last segment, which is obviously our fan favorite. That's right, we're going to hand it over to the Trivia Maestro, and now you've only got one person guessing this evening, Rad, so go easy on me. We will go easy on you. I mean, you you are the leader at this stage. I think you've got <laughs> too, too over, overweight at this present time, so... Um, um, <laughs> so this is an easy win then for me. It should be. I mean, last week you were really quick at the at guessing the teammates. Um, I don't think you'll be as quick this week with the teammate, but I think you might be. You could be quick depending on whether you know the player or not. Um, on on some of the facts that I might read out. So you well, let's see how our listeners go, and I'll have a crack and see if I can get it. Yeah, look, you might you might you might get it really quick. So uh, here we go. I come from three generations of professional footballers. My grandfather is a five times European Cup winner, or what we now call the Champions League. My father was not as fortunate, though. Um, he was a Euro- European Cup finalist, losing out to the Romanian giants, Stoke Buc- Bucharest. Both my father and grandfather represented the national team. I started my career at the club that my grandfather was most successful at. Um, and after a few years in the youth setup, um, I was unfortunately unable to break into the senior team, making just a single appearance. That single appearance came in the 90th minute as a substitute. My second senior appearance would then come in a different league when I moved to the Premier League. Can um, I ask, is the, the first league, is that the Spanish league? It is. It is. And is the team Real Madrid? It is. It is. Okay. So you, you're, on, you're on to a flying start. Um, my second senior appearance then came in the Premier League in a 2-1 loss to Liverpool at Anfield when I was wearing the white and navy of Bolton Wanderers. I continued with Bolton despite relegation into the championship in the 2011-2012 season. After a season in the championship, I decided against a new contract with Bolton and made a move to Italy. I signed for Fiorentina in 2013 on a three-year deal I made nine appearances in the first six what months. What year, sorry? In 2013. I've been waiting for you to say a year, yeah. So 2013, yeah. he moved to Fiorentina. In 2014, after making nine appearances um, in the first six months at Fiorentina, I was sent on loan to Sunderland back in the Premier League under manager Gus Puyet. My first game for Sunderland was against Man United in the League Cup, and I was named man of the match in a 2-1 semi-final win. I then played in the cup final as well. However, we were ultimately beaten 3-1 by Man City. And who is the team? Sorry, Sunderland? Sunderland. At the end of that season, I returned to Fiorentina and I was then able to secure myself as a regular in the team going forward. In May 2011, whilst I was still at Bolton, I was arrested for my role in the death of a young lady. I was the driver of the car that collided into a wall resulting in the tragedy of my 22-year-old passenger um, passing away. In February 2016, I was sentenced to 21 months in prison. However, the punishment was later changed to €61,000 oh. fine and a suspension of my license. Um, in 2016, I returned to the Premier League, to the team that I now play for. To date... I have won the following trophies in my career. The Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League, the Europa League. The Champions League? The UEFA Super Cup. Wait, hang on, hang on. The Champions League? Yeah. Okay, Champions so the only, the only two teams to win the Champions League are Chelsea and Liverpool, and this is not a Liverpool player. 
Okay. Um, I've okay, made three appearances. He's a Liverpool player. I have made three <laughs> appearances for my national team. My father. Sorry, can, oh, wait, hang on, hang on. Go back to the cups. Can you say the cups that he won? So the league, Premier League. Yeah. FA Cup, Champions League, Europa League, and UEFA Super Cup. Okay, it has to be a Chelsea player. Yeah. My father, my grandfather, and I all share the same name, as in first name and surname. My father played for Atleti and Barca, and my grandfather played for Real Madrid. All three of us are Spanish internationals. <laughs> Hang on, okay. I often play as a wing back. It's not Aspilu Quetta, obviously. No. I am a Chelsea player. Yeah, of course you And I've you, gone Chelsea. through all my facts. You've gone through all your facts, <laughs> and I still don't get it. I play as a wing back. It's not, a lo- it's not Alonso. It is not Marcus Spanish. Alonso. Fox. Whose father is Marcus Alonso, whose grandfather is Marcus Alonso. No way, they continued the name. All three of them are professional footballers. His father won the Champions League five times with Real Madrid. uh, Real Madrid, his father was. Must have been that 65 team. Yeah, his father um, didn't win, but he did win a league with Barcelona. Um, so he was a league. So Marcus Alonso, so obviously I thought that perhaps. The three generations you would have picked up, and, and maybe yeah. our our listeners would get onto it once you start talking about wingbacks. Um, there's there's two Spanish wingbacks uh, in that team, so <laughs> you, you got to get one of them right. So and I got the first one wrong. Yeah, <laughs> all right, that's all right. Yeah, did I get any points for that? <laughs> Look, <laughs> I got it all. Not through all the facts. I think. Um, <laughs> We've we got to give it to the list give up. Today. I didn't give up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that was meant to be the easy one, Connell. Jeez, so let's see, how, let's see how you go with the with the teammates. So um, what what I'll do is once I get to the last teammate, um, I'll ask you if you want me to repeat the teammates again. Um, Jeez, that's how tough this is. Yeah. Right. And and uh, if if I go through the teammates for the second time and you still can't get it. Unfortunately, um, this is a well-known player, right? Yeah, relatively, yeah. relatively yeah. well-known. But someone that you you definitely know about. So, um, and when you hear his teammates, it's, I think you're going to be quite confident that uh, uh, you you would know the player himself. Right, let's have a crack. Let's go, Claude Makélélé, David Beckham, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Eric Bailly, Rafael Varane. Tiago Silva, Matteo Kisman, Tiago Silva, Tiago Silva, Eden Hazard, McKinnius. No, he's a Premier League player. Uh, okay, I okay, say so he's Lucas, a player. Lucas Mora, Kante. No, Ruben Loftus Cheek, Kurt Zuma, Blaise Matuidi, Mamadou Sako. Maxwell, Ludovic Gulli, Stefan Sessegnon, Javier Pastore, Thiago Mota, Luka Modric, Alexander Mitrovic. Not Dejan Love, no, he's a Premier League player, what am I saying? Marco Verratti, Roberto Soldado, Isco. Daniel Lanzini. Spanish player. Gareth Bell. Spanish. Who's Spanish? Sergio Ramos. Spanish and played with Latin. Angelo Ogbonna. Ogbonna, West Ham. James Rodriguez. Real Madrid. Cavajal. Vladimir Sufal. West Ham. Andre Yarmolenko. Ukrainian. Antonio. Fuck it, that has to be a West Ham player. Jared Bowen. Side Ben Rama. You named me the whole West Ham team. And, and Creswell. I'm <laughs> pretty close to the end. Oh, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on. Look, I don't know who this is. Oh, my Lord. Mark not, not, Noble. I was going to say, it's not Mark Noble, I hope. 
Jeez. Fredericks. Fabianski? No. Lucas Fabianski. Oh, the last one. I got Those no are one. All the names. I got no one left. So he's a, he, he is clearly a, a West Ham player. He's a starter at the moment for West Ham. So if you go through, well, I've got. I'm giving I'm a lot of clues. Names, so if I go say. through the names I've called out, he played with David Beckham and Zlatan at PSG. He played with Sergio Ramos, Isco, um, Danny Carvajal, Gareth Bale at um, Real Madrid. He played with um, Mitrovic at Fulham, Fulham last season, and this season he's playing. He's playing at West Ham, and he's a starter. He's a starter. He's actually Not still owned by PSG. Holy Moses, I have absolutely zero clue. <laughs> All right. He's a goalkeeper. Martinez? No, Alfonso Ariola. Um, I would he... never have guessed that. Oh, <laughs> my Lord. So, so I, I thought so the French goalkeeper the came from PSG, on my PSG. He's, he's moved a few times on loan. Um on loan at Real Madrid, on loan at Fulham, on loan, on loan at West Ham. I would never well, have Playing well at the moment for West Ham. So I think that's one for the quiz master this week. With, oh, uh, you definitely <laughs> take the rap there. With, with Paul, I think there's there's two points in my back pocket. This <laughs> <week>. <laughs> you could have the points. So I next week you get to play for double. I couldn't extend my lead over Wade and he's not even <laughs> here. Well, next week you play for double. <laughs> wow, those are good ones. I would never have guessed the Ariola one, that's for sure. Well, wasn't it wasn't even in my mind. Whether they would have got that. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think if you go through who's missing from the starting lineup, and maybe maybe through you, maybe you think Lucas Fabianski. Um, yeah. He's been dropped to the bench, and Ariola has, has been starting. Well, there you go. You learn something new every week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to our good master for another interesting uh, round of who the heck is that? So we'll finish off, guys. I guess, uh, Rads, not much to look forward to. We go into another disastrous international break. Maybe you are looking forward to those games. I'm probably looking forward I to, am, actually. to sleep yes. after having a kid. But I will <laughs> say there's, um, there's a bit of turmoil around uh, some of this uh, international break. Apparently, the two Liverpool players... For bit, well, three Brazilian players, and it'll probably affect quite a few teams, actually. Um, you know, the, uh, from what I've read, the three Liverpool players, Fabinho, Firmino, and Allison, will miss not only the Watford game, but the Atletico Madrid game as well, due to oh, the wow. rules. So, very, very I, tricky. I thought they updated those rules to allow those players um, to, that will be going to registered countries exceptions. I think so. so the technicality, the technicality is that the Uruguay Brazil game is 24 hours before the kickoff of the Watford game. Okay. So there's no likelihood that they can get back. And then the Spanish game, because the rule only applies in England, that's played in Spain, they won't be allowed to actually go ah. there. So they're like quarantined. So oh, wow. it's a complete cluster, you know yeah. what. And so that, that, that's the first game of Claudia Ranieri's reign as well. So um, <laughs> they welcome Liverpool without their Brazilians. And mind you, what uh, Liverpool approached Watford to ask them to move the game to 7.30 p.m. instead of the early kickoff, which uh, Watford happily said no to. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. They cited, of course. do you know what they cited as uh, the reason? No. Uh, really. They said they said that uh, uh, fans have already you know planned for this game, so it'll be too much too too much of a challenge to uh, ask people to to to, yeah, to move it to a later time. Well, well, they moved the Aston Villa game for United with very little notice. I think it was about a week, and they did get slammed. But it just shows that it can be done. And can it's, be done. It's, uh, yeah. so I think what's not just being a little bit difficult in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, fair play to them. Might be difficult as well if I was the chairman at the club to say, we, we already got a difficult game. Um, got a new manager. Let's give him every chance. Mm. Well, I guess, um, yeah, not much, not much exciting happening this weekend. But what, is there anything you're looking forward to at this point in time? 
couple of good games in um, the is it the Conference League or the Conference Cup um, European game. So we've got um, Italy versus Spain um, in the morning. So I think that's going to be a cracker of a game, um, given what what the game was like in the in the Euros. So I'm looking forward to that game actually. Well, you are completely on your own this weekend. Right? <laughs> I'll be turning off the TV and tending to my crying baby this weekend. And I will give a shout out uh, to my newborn, born on the 5th of October, Killian Creed Kaya Taylor. Welcome to the world. As Riyad said, another Liverpool supporter for the world's contentment. <laughs> and let me tell you, he'll be going for his Liverpool tattoo in two weeks. So oh, there no. you have it. <laughs> Congrats well, again, Carlo. You thank you all. very much. Thank you very much. On that note, guys, we might end the show. Thank you for your time. It's been another great session from obviously just your host, Conway T, and obviously my co-host, Rudds. Unfortunately, our other partner in crime, Wade, could not join us tonight. But we hope you enjoyed the show. We look forward to seeing you next week where we're going to have a little bit of fun given it's an international break <laughs> with some uh, some throwback moments potentially to look back at some of the players that have, uh, you know, affectionately tied themselves to the pundits over the years in the Premier League. And uh, we might have a bit of fun next week and see how we go. But until then, catch us on Facebook at What The Football Podcast. You can catch us on Apple Podbean and as well as as, as Twitter and uh, across all social platforms. But until next week, thank you listeners for your time and enjoy your What the Football podcast for another week. Until then, thank you and goodbye.